Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. How are you this morning? I'm great. It, well, it's not morning. We're not doing a morning one this week. We're doing um, yeah, twelve. Thought we tried brunch. Brunch? brunch. Is it brunch? We have brunch time chat show. Let's <laughs> go. I think it sounds great. <clears throat> yeah, br- move over, loose women. <laughs> Never move over. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite loose woman? And I think, is Carol still on it? Carol? Carol, yeah. You know, she ultimate. she lives in France a lot of the time. No, 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 no not Carol. Um, Carol, I did that, that's as much as I know about her, really. Um, she, she married somebody who was quite younger than her, I think, and people got very upset about it a couple of years ago. She sounds amazing. I love yeah, no, that. Yeah, she's quite good. I think she's a journalist. <laughs> what about you? Who's your favourite news woman? Of Janet Newswoman. Street Porter. Ooh, <laughs> controversial. <laughs> I just love her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to go on topic. Um, yes, thank you. Welcome to Rory and Jeff talk about art. Um, and we're talking about a film today that I think is art. I don't know if one of the filmmakers would agree they have a real vendetta against art. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about uh, Lou McNamara and Kyla Harris's new uh, project, It's Personal, which premiered earlier this week on Film Bed Umbrella. It's absolutely phenomenal and we have Lou and Kyla with us today to chat. They'll be on with us in a minute. First we're going to watch a clip and then we'll be right back. So yeah, let's let's watch the clip. Since the pandemic began, I don't have enough PAs to cover all of my care. Because Lou and I get along so well, I asked her to train as my PA, but she's never seen my personal care. We've set up this challenge for me to learn how to be a PA in seven days and I'm going to film it all. Hi, Lou and Kyla, welcome. Good morning. (laughs) Here to talk about art with us. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. Um, The film was absolutely brilliant. Um, Yeah, would you mind introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm Lou McNamara. Um, I um, make documentaries. Uh, I studied art, um, but have had a mixed relationship with art. Uh, I worked in the visual arts for a bit, but now um, I mainly work in the camera department on kind of music videos, commercials, um, short films, working on getting into longer form projects, um, and I make documentaries. Um, And I met Kyla about five years ago, and we have been friends and wanting to make a film together for a long time. And then during the pandemic, um, we made our first documentary together. Uh, which is it's personal. Kyla. Oh yes, my name is Kyla Harris, and I have a background in the arts. And I went to film school, but after film school, I went. I've learned one thing, and that's that I don't want to be in film. <laughs> um, so here we are, <laughs> in film and loving it. Uh, kind of finding my niche in disability representation because I am disabled, and uh, yeah loving life what can i say <laughs> that's really cool so wait so you had like a completely opposite path of no like studied mm. film and decided not to do it yeah <laughs> yeah and i have to ask but one of my favorite bits in the film was was the um 
we should be friends moment at the beginning. Oh. Is that like the real when you became friends? <laughs> totally. We didn't even remember we had it. We were making like a little teaser kind of taster clip about the project to apply mm. for um, FEU's Beyond Commission, which is how we made the film. And when we were doing that, it's like, oh yeah, when I first met Kyla, I was actually filming because I've always been like, I've been obsessed with reality TV for a long time. And I was part of this group art project where everybody could do their own thing. So I said, I'm going to try and make reality TV about it. And I didn't, I kind of totally flopped, but I did film lots of like a weekend we spent on a farm together and did little like pull interviews on the side with people trying to get them to say dramatic things so I could like edit together a narrative that didn't happen and create drama where it didn't exist and that was my interview with Kyla so I found it on an old hard drive and was like oh my god I actually have the moment that we became friends <laughs> on camera which yeah it was it was weird and amazing to have that on camera. I would say that I have like a lot of embarrassing moments in It's Personal that I consider embarrassing and that is the first one. <laughs> um, and I think that's just because there's there's part of me that I have this like very transatlantic personality and um, there's this uh, kind of coupling of being brash and then being like very embarrassed by being brash. <laughs> like a perfect example of one of those moments where I was like, I had this anxiety. I was like, I was just like, I need to be friends with this person. I don't care if I sound like an absolute, I don't know. Yeah, what's that word? Not genuine, but like earnest. I don't mind if I sound like earnest in a bad way. I want her to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really amazing quality to have. I think we should all try and be more like that. That was something I completely loved about it was yeah it was earnest but not in a bad way like it felt so personal at the risk of being like everyone take a shot I think part of that was like yeah the use of the language of reality tv in every way like the introduction the voiceover the uh, one of my favorite bits the little covid like break in the way you just spoke about reality tv there Lou was like quite cynical I want to say like manufacturing drama but I think that's the real beauty of reality tv is that it operates on these two simultaneous levels where you know there's something fake and you know you're being fed a storyline to like create an emotion but you're also aware that there is a sense of reality of it and there is like there's the structure that that sort of allows for the direct emotional manipulation and the indirect emotional manipulation and you're sort of primed for both when you're watching reality tv and I felt like you guys completely nailed that for your own purposes you were able to use it to include dramatic moments you were able to use it to really alter the flow of how it worked the the sort of the cutting between things the use of the talking the talking head and like the voiceover and then the conversation that was happening more organically like all together really crafted yeah a narrative to me like ensure that you were taught things without it feeling didactic um we had to cut a lot of didactically and that's what we started doing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was the absolute opposite of what i was imagining when you because i think i was imagining like gallery girls i feel like you kind of use reality to a reality uh, television more like a tool rather than kind of like a structure you were very much kind of carving it but it very much was its own thing as well thank you I, lo I love everything that you've said I think that like when we realized that it was 
successful was when we got an email from one of the people at our commissioner and they were like, oh my gosh, I feel like I know you so well and you know nothing about me. Like maybe we could have a Zoom call. And I was just like, and I was like, Lou, we've done it. Yeah, you've like hacked into that reality TV thing that, I mean, might take a bit of a dark turn here, but that reality TV thing that allows people who watch reality TV to feel like they have like a right and an access to the people that they're watching. But it's also the thing that makes it so rewarding that, you you know, you get that sense of kinship almost. I think there's also, it's really interesting what you just said there about the, the, having a right to you. Absolutely. And that, that really happens with celebrity. And But I think that what I love about this and what I knew would kind of happen as soon as that we got that email, I was like, that's what happens. People feel like they, because I'm disabled, they have a right to my body. Mm. And so this format also allowed me to kind of or us to subvert that, the idea of like the disabled gaze, the medical gaze um, then became ours and like ours to control and ours to produce and ours to, yeah, select, manipulate and put forward. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we approached it from the beginning as like most reality TV or to make reality TV requires producers in the background manipulating the story and mm-hmm. uh, helping create that and encourage looking out for it encouraging it like finding storylines especially when you do those piece to camera bits reminding or helping the person in front of the camera to to talk about it in ways that will be useful in your edit uh, but rather than having some reality tv producers who were in control of it we had each other producing producing ourselves and so we always saw it as I'm making a film about Kyla while Kyla's making a film about me so whilst I would be Mm. uncomfortable with my character and not want to develop my character Kyla could like push me and guide me and challenge me and ask me questions I didn't expect on camera Um, and I could do the same for Kyla and then we knew that it wasn't going to feel horrible or exploitative and we could be open and more vulnerable than we might otherwise have been because we were the ones who were going to edit it we were the ones who were going to make all of those decisions together um, and so throughout the whole process it was like that kind of challenge and push of ourselves but with the person doing the challenging the pushing also being someone who was supporting you and you could trust mm. rather than this faceless reality tv producer it's interesting that you say that you you really have the agency because i do think when it is something that is produced by someone else i think you see this a lot on like drag race Um, with reality TV where there is an impetus on behalf of a producer to craft a narrative so that it fits into like a pre-established story and there wasn't a sense of that and I think that's part of what made it so refreshing is that it was like clearly using the language of, of reality TV but to tell a story that isn't familiar it might have the aesthetics of familiarity, like that was the like the complete like mishmash of aesthetics. You mentioned at one point how like beautiful Kyla's home is, and the work after that, I was like, this does kind of look like an Architectural Digest home tour video. But then there were like the Nigella Express elements of like Brighton Pier with the jazzy music, like a proper like early nineties show like that, and then the self cams and the. The talking heads, which were more Kardashian, but the self-cams, which were more like Big Brother, Love Islandy, And it sort of read, I, I mean, I don't want to say like it read like a love letter to reality TV, but it was someone who, from people who clearly 
understand that medium and how to manipulate it. It truly was. Our original pitch had like, yeah, references <laughs> to reality TV shows in terms of like what our treatment would be. Yeah, it was great to finally put all of that, um, that knowledge and experience and research I've been doing all these years to good use. <laughs> Absolutely. And there was, there was something, we got a comment from someone who said it was like watching reality TV without the guilt. Mm. And I think that there's this idea that reality TV is escapism. And I think it is in a large part. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with like that kind of escapism. Um, but I also feel like um, that's kind of what we were going for as well. That's exactly what we were going for. Almost this idea of that, that you can engage with these subjects and topics in a really... <clears throat> accessible way but also in a way that we love mm. and that that we have yeah quote unquote studied and i think it's really nice Lou, what you were saying about how you were kind of questioning each other and i think that then that kind of really illustrated that idea of that kind of back and forth flow of caregiving which is spoken about in that fluidity of care text and how you're both providing care in kind of different contexts and you both need that and you both um, and that's kind of what's at the center of it, really, which I thought was just done so kind of beautifully, really. And like elegantly. And and I also thought that was a, a fantastic narrative choice, maybe isn't the right word. Um, it was like a Socratic dialogue that sort of informed the viewer on so many levels about the wider political situation, your, your personal physical situation, the the intimacy of your friendship, the the practicalities of the care work, like, and because it was told through that Socratic sort of method, it never felt overbearing. I don't know what Socratic means, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean about the Socratic method and and how it's it's you know like a hierarchy of ideals and that it starts with the individual and spreads out and that's exactly what we were trying to do and that's you know it's like i think i think the best way of accessing um larger ideas I, like i firmly firmly believe it's through personal stories yeah completely and I mean, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the text, Jeff, that if, if anyone hasn't read it, it's available on the Film Bed Umbrella website and it was a, a response to the film. And the way that it started with the incredibly personal story, and I think there was something, yeah, about the film and its intimacy that sort of just prompts vulnerability. Um, and yeah, that I, 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 no, no, sorry, no, go on, sorry. Well, no, I was just going to go on and sort of ask, you Lou there was the moment where the story diverted into your personal story and I wondered if that was something you'd planned for when you were sort of structuring it or if it was something that sort of came out naturally and and was that sort of a what was that choice like between the two of you to go there and sort of make it more level between the two of you because I think the the sort of stereotypical narrative when you're looking at and I think this goes back to what we were saying before the stereotypical narrative when you're looking at sort of stories of people with disabilities is it is about the person who who is disabled and sort of then everyone else is a, a lesser character and it's sort of this putting on a pedestal in 
and it can almost be sort of fetishistic and it's not great and so yeah I was sort of wondering where where that came from so that was um our first interview we did for the film our first formal interview so before that we'd recorded like all of our zoom calls for months um but then um when I was quarantining um for 14 days before going to see Kyla I had almost two weeks to set up some lighting in the bedroom and try and figure out how to light myself without a stand-in um, and how to get focus on myself without a stand-in. Um, I started off by using like a huge teddy bear that I had in the room and then it turned out that lighting a teddy bear doesn't look anywhere near the same as lighting a human and when I sat in for my teddy bear it looked terrible. Um, anyway so I finally had it all set up, had Kyla on Zoom so I could see Kyla interviewing me right by the camera um, and have this kind of yeah remote interview set up and then we started talking and Kyla had prepared questions to interview me with and it was yeah it was a really really emotional and intense interview and a lot of stuff I probably haven't talked about to a lot of people who are close to me let alone on camera um and then to be honest we went and filmed hours and hours and hours and hours of other stuff for the next few weeks and it wasn't until we got to the edit process that we started getting back to that bit and the, and the bit you see there is yeah like two minutes of a two-hour conversation uh, between the two of us about care and our experiences of care and uh, lots of didactic glue and thoughts on mutual aid as well and then yeah we we started I think it was it was probably you Kyla right kind of thinking about how we weave that into the story or what parts that we use in the story and there was a point in the edit process there where I was like I can't edit this we need an editor like I can't edit myself crying basically it's too much it just makes me cry when I edit myself crying and that's just too circular sitting in front of a computer crying at yourself Kyla was really supportive through that and started trying to help find an editor who could do this for us and we couldn't find someone not in the time and not with the budget that we didn't really have for an editor and so during that process of trying to find an editor I kind of started sitting with it and getting more comfortable considering doing it myself or getting used to it and so started getting more used to it and just realizing we'd have to do it and started editing it and mm. uh, I think that was like a really weird probably quite therapeutic process definitely like all of the editing was like really really collaborative so I would do the like Premiere Pro side of stuff and then export and send to Kyla and we would um, talk about it together um, and note stuff down in a Google Sheet that we had of our kind of script which had lots of tr uh, transcribed content from all the footage that Kyla had been going through and watching and transcribing and highlighting bits we could use and so through that process again it was something that we really did together and that's the only way that made it possible for me because that's editing that kind of content with yourself in it you just can't see the wood for the trees you don't know what's a good edit you don't know yeah you don't know how it's going to be perceived by other people it's so hard not to be just really really biased because you're seeing your own face ugly cry <laughs> on screen and you don't want to show that yeah I I when Lou and I started this project we actually didn't know each other that well we were friends and I obviously knew that I wanted to be friends with her and good friends with her but we spent a lot of time in groups and just kind of short shorter periods of time together and when we decided to do this project together there was one of our in one of our conversations in one of our zoom conversations Lou told me that her mom had died when she was 16 and that really, that really hit me because that to me was like a missing piece of the puzzle of why Lou had such almost like an ingrained understanding of care. And 
the idea of family being a system of support that isn't always relied on. And so to me, it was an essential piece of the film before we made it to to kind of uncover and to obviously, you know, with, with Lou's consent and with her feeling really safe around that and feeling really um, willing to share those things. And I think um, we all have a relationship with care from the moment we're born. Um, and I think it's that kind of, it was looking at that as well and looking at how our relationships to care had been formed. I had, this is an idea from, from the beginning and it was, but again, it was just whether it was going to come out in a natural and um, safe way. Yeah. And I think it did feel consistently natural throughout. I mean, everything, it didn't feel heightened ever. Although I did get a sense in the scene, the way you were learning to catheterize yourself, I did get a very strong sense of the uh, Chris Jenner, you're doing amazing, sweetie energy. Um, from me? Yeah, from you, <laughs> <laughs> with the camera. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think it was really, ma like, you managed it really well talking about the kind of personal ideas of care and that kind of more expanded ideas of care when you start to talk about kind of the contracts, the money involved, talk about mutual aid, talking about admin as care, uh, which I think is really important. And I think, yeah, it's like, like you say, like, it's, it's kind of very overlooked and a lot of people don't consider that as care. Um, so I just thought it was really good how you presented that kind of multi-layered idea of what care is. Yeah, and the piece that you talked about before, the piece that accompanies um, the film is written by Rebecca Tosig. And she is um, American and fabulous. Just so, so, oh, such, such an absolute dreamboat. If you don't follow her, anyone that's out there, follow her now. She is an, a goddess. Um, but I think one of the things about Rebecca's writing and her work is that she has this very kind of lived bone marrow understanding of care and that sense of reciprocity and yeah, her being a mother has really changed her understanding and experience of care. And that to me is, she just kind of embodies the whole idea of giving and receiving because of her of her husband also being diagnosed with cancer and uh, you know her experience of disability herself and so I think it was yeah if people have watched the film and haven't read the piece please go onto the website and read it because yeah. it is beautiful oh she can read it to you well we wanted that as like an access feature as well yeah, because, of course. and also Lou and I have developed a bit of a relationship where I will like read things to Lou often and sometimes she'll fall asleep or <laughs> um but in when when we got the piece from Rebecca um it came through when Lou was getting ready to to pack and go to a, a job and we'd had a really intense kind of day of working together and then I I, I read I read out the piece to to Lou because of just the situation and I was like, we were just like bawling, just bawling together. And it was just such a beautiful moment that we shared as well. And that like brought the, the film back again and really kind of encapsulated the essence of what we were going for.
Yeah, and it's such an amazing experience to have Rebecca do that because we were both like massive fans of her. She released a book um, last year called Sitting Pretty, which is incredible. And so when Film Video Umbrella asked us who would like to write about our work, we suggested her and we had no idea if she'd even reply because she was this big shot author. Um, and then we found out that she'd agreed to do it and we got to meet her and talk to her about the film and then read her writing on it. And it was just, yeah, it was such an amazing experience to to have somebody whose who's work you respect so much then see your work and write about it. It was really lovely. I mean, Jess, you obviously, I don't know if many people sort of watching know this, but you have sort of a whole other a layer of sort of appreciation for for this with your your current work yeah so <laughs> so i work in um i'm trained to be a social worker at the minute and specializing in adult mental health this this film kind of showed a lot of problems and issues with social work but it really highlighted the kind of personal and the intimacy that i think gets overlooked so much so seeing that illustrate i think was just really moving and really kind of made me expand my understanding of what care is and what that looks like and what's my role within that as well and yeah I think it's very difficult to do and I think a lot of these conversations are very complex and very kind of loaded and heavy and the way you presented it was so accessible and yeah I, I just I feel like on so many different levels it's so important really and the timing as well I think is really really good um, in terms of COVID and in terms of all of these Kind of huge changes that have happened recently and that are kind of currently happening and that are kind of going to need to happen more long term it's interesting that you said sort of in terms of accessibility of the project because uh, that was something i think you'd mentioned before jeff is what is the accessibility of the work i mean how do you sort of see the work existing is it you know more of a documentary feature is it a netflix reality tv show is it an art film because I do really think it sort of does straddle the border of all three. I mean, I would basically say Netflix, BBC Three, C4, call us. Call me, call me. <laughs> um, because, I, yeah, I think that, you know, Lou's background is in documentary in her own in her own work. And I don't really have any background in either <laughs> reality, you know, working in, in <clears throat> film and TV. Yeah, in the way that I have over the last year. We don't we don't really know what genre we're in because we're we do want to kind of engage with all of those genres that you've mentioned. And I think like TV can be quite confused by us. <laughs> because they're like, but are you factual entertainment? Are you documentary? What are you? Yeah, I mean, we'd love to make it into a series. We'd love to have it as a TV series that everyone can access um, because we do feel like there is, like this just isn't talked about. It's not seen, it's not shown. When I say this, when I say this, I mean like the personal impact of care and, and disability representation. And a lot of disability representation is of male disabled people, if we get any at all. And so I think it's also important because of that and getting you know th that perspective out there, um, like a female perspective of disability, but also we're, we are, this could be a, a series of documentaries. I don't know, Lou? I think, yeah, it's weird because it exists across those different genres and I think that's what I really like about it. That's what's new about it is that it does cross those things, hopefully successfully, like it was a risk. And 
Um, we didn't know if it would work. So we just tried to give ourselves the components. Also, because production was pretty limited, we had the two weeks we were filming over or less than two weeks. We had to shoot all of our piece to camera pieces whilst we were also doing the real thing, which is super unusual. Obviously, in real reality TV, we tend to go back to those later and they can yeah. get what they need for their edit. But instead, we tried to guess what we'd need for our edit once a day. <laughs> after the rest of our filming and in between backing up the cards and trying to eat and sleep as well and in a pretty confined space right at the end in the corner of Kyla's kitchen where we'd like roll out our coloramas and gaffer tape them to the ceiling and have just about this much space between the kitchen shelves and the kitchen counter to get the frame of a little bit of blue or a little bit of yellow and one of our heads and then somehow fit the lights in as well so yeah we uh we just tried to give ourselves the tools we we would need and then during the edit try and figure it out from there and see if it worked and give ourselves options so we could go more one way or more the other and then we were really happy when it did work and we were able to go keep going more the other way and work with an amazing titles designer who did the smoke in the Aladdin titles sequence um, <laughs> and we were lucky enough to get to work with her and she really responded so well to the brief Maria Serato and did this, these incredible kind of reality tv titles designed the emoji bouncing kind of modesty covers <laughs> oh god I hate the term modesty cover I love um, them so much. Um, uh, yeah, they were so much fun. And yeah, we were able to just keep pushing it that way. And I think that makes it fun and engaging and enjoyable. And that was a really big thing for me. I find most moving image art just not enjoyable. Like it asks so much of me, even when it's really good and really important, it often requires me to sit there for so, so long <laughs> to watch it and doesn't really offer me much reward or much relief. And there's a reason that film and TV has developed in the ways that it has and that it entertains people and that it keeps people watching. And that's not all good. We don't always need to have super fast, ridiculous Zoom transitions and like wall-to-wall -wall music in the background. I'm not saying that's the only way to do stuff, but I think it is important to think about how your work engages people and keeps them with you. And that's my frustration often with a lot of art, that it doesn't feel like the creator feels the need to to engage you like you should just be engaged because it's art and it's important and you should like it because if you're smart and you're cultural and you're in this gallery right now like you better fucking like it um yeah. otherwise you don't get it and that's on you and it shouldn't always be on you you know like mm. that was really really fun for me to get to to do art in a way that I want it to be and I think that it is it is a really valuable space to have to be able to try hybrids and try things that you wouldn't get a commission for anywhere else yeah. Um, and I think that's what experimental means. Experimental doesn't have to mean like 20 minutes with no cuts and like <clears throat> swirling visuals that are abstract. Like that can be experimental too, but that's not the only thing experimental should mean. It should mean experimenting with, with boundaries of genre as well, or whatever it is that you want to do and test. Yeah. Did you say, but it's not, um, so there's only one episode. So are you just leaving us hanging? That's it? <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna have to imagine our own ending. <laughs> It's been so funny, the response already of people being like, where's episode two? How many catheters did it take? Yeah. <laughs> That's literally on, a, on my list of questions. <laughs> we, would love, we would love episode two. We would love to do more of it. Um, and yeah, if we, if we manage to find ways to do that and get the funding or um, commission to do that, then that's something we'd definitely be interested in. Plus we, we have spin-offs planned. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, like it just feels like the start of this. You know what I mean? Like there's so many questions and so many conversations that need to be had. And this feels like a starting point for it all. Yeah. I want to see Lou and Kyla take Miami. 
<laughs> yeah, let's just say Courtney and uh, Chloe have competition. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, what if you got on E? I think we're more Bravo. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry, go on. I, I was. I just wanted to ask about the music. I feel like the, the music kind of plays such a, a pivotal role in it, and it really kind of transforms certain scenes. Like particularly the one I'm thinking about is when Lou is um, stretching your leg, and it could be, you know, like it's such this kind of like intimate, like powerful moment, and you put this music on top of it, and it kind of changes the tone in such a wonderful way. You know, like <laughs> I'm not really sure where it brings it, but it brings it somewhere else. That's just that's just really lovely. So it's where like what's how, how did music kind of play a role in it for you? Was it kind of an afterthought or was it something you were kind of interested in from the start? Well, funny you mentioned that because I was watching Married at First Sight Australia last night <laughs> and there was like this couple and they were essentially having the exact same um, experience as another couple that was in the same episode, but the music was completely different for each of the couples. And in one of them, it was like this tense, like, you know, it's like super dramatic and tense. And I was like, they're literally just having a similar conversation to the other couple. (laughs) And it's like, it's the way that, that they used it to kind of set up how we're supposed to feel about about them and so it was like you know for that couple with the kind of tense music it was like oh this is not gonna work like immediately and then for the couple that had the more like romantic kind of pop sugar music it was like yes I am so invested in them working out and it's like (laughs) um so I think music was something that was I, I think a lot of the visual styles and the music and all of the kind of reality tv stuff and it's like that's not our everyday aesthetic like lou and i aren't like these sugary pop cosmopolitan teen kind of people um but we appreciate the accessibility of that and the kind of using those that language and that kind of that <clears throat> grammar as well to kind of under to to create these atmospheres because it's not like I think you know when you say disability plus music like what first comes into your head like tragic right or like something super inspirational and it's like we we're neither we're not playing into those tropes because that's like something that needs to be fought against and that needs to be countered with I know don't call me honey (laughs) our title song yeah, all of our music is unashamedly like audio library or copyright free music <laughs> off YouTube that Tyler would troll through and find like the most like fun, upbeat ones that we liked and then send them over to me and I'd try slotting them in and we'd just see what they looked like um, and see how they worked. And yeah, I think with stretches, for example, like, yeah, that's something that happens every day with like some music on or TV on or chatting. It's not like yeah. this big formal thing. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to have that, um, to give that kind of spirit to it with the music. I want to know, in your show notes, mm-hmm. I saw hair clips. What about them? <laughs> I just wanted to know how considered they were, because I feel like it was, it worked so well with the background. I just thought it was lovely. So I was just wondering, was that an intentional kind of aesthetic choice, or was it just kind of the work of the gods? I don't know. <laughs> They're just my hair clips. <laughs> 
You're doing you amazing, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> you need to add a wardrobe credit to yourself. I just love yeah. the attention to detail. <laughs> yeah. Picked up on that is that is fantastic. We're gonna we're gonna be like, um, oh god, what's her name? Pop princess. Um, Kim Petras. Started started in country, blonde hair. Miley Taylor Hunter. Swift. Uh, Taylor Swift. That's it. Taylor Swift. It's like <laughs> Taylor Swift apparently puts like secrets or codes in her mm -hmm. music for her fans like we're gonna we're gonna start doing that i guess i think that there was one thing that i wanted to talk about going back to the um chris jenner you're doing fine sweetie moment when lou and i were well, when I was kind of talking Lou through self-catheterization and um, which has been amazing, by the way, because people are like, ooh, I want to try it. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be in our merch. Like we're going I to learned have so like self-catheterization. So <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but I think that there's, it's, it's interesting that you kind of, that, that part of me was something that you picked up on because there is a huge part of me, like I'm so used to training PAs mm. and, I'm, and I've done it for 20 years now. And it becomes this almost like repetitive talk through, but also like a mode of reassurance. And like, I need to be an employer through that yeah. as well. And so there is this momager part of me that does come out, <laughs> I guess, because I'm, that is a facet of myself that's developed because of needing to train PAs and because of needing to be the employer. And that's was, so it's interesting that you, that, that yeah. you kind of saw that. I, I've never put it in a Chris Jenner kind of way before. But <laughs> thanks. Embrace the Chris Jenner. Embrace all reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> which I think brings us to the, to the next bit, which is where sort of this was, this was my week. I, I brought this to, to Jeff. Um, and then at the end of our chats, we have 11 minutes left. Um, the person who isn't sort of hosting gets to talk about their own work. And we asked you two if you had some thoughts. And I know that, Lou, you wanted to talk about more reality TV. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> this week, I have scraped the bottom of the barrel and found Below Deck Med. And it's incredible. I literally think I work on a yacht now. I don't know what it is that's like so fascinating and it's so great to watch the people who like run these super yachts mm. doing it and like them balancing this like professionalism with these like often like awful really entitled clients <laughs> on super yachts and dealing with like <clears throat> sexism from their colleagues like all of the time and keeping like somehow I don't know I don't know if I get on with any of these people <laughs> But I'm just impressed by them um, and like fascinated to watch them like, I don't know, fold some like intricate napkin sculpture for oh. the for the like yacht guests whilst like keeping a smile on and being like, okay, honey, um, and like batting off the shit left, right and center. Um, and I think maybe something about it, maybe just because they're on radio all of the time to their colleagues, just reminds me of my job, um, oh. like being on film sets where people are always shouting at you and talking to you on the radio. So yeah, I come home from work and I get into my second shift of being on a yacht and watch about like three, four episodes a night at the moment. Okay, I'm and, obsessed. I need to watch this. Yeah. You've really sold it. 
particularly the napkin detail. <laughs> yeah, oh, they're, they're obsessed. This is the other thing. They're so into like table design. Table decor is like a huge center point of drama in like See, two seasons. They call tablescapes loop. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I think it's because they have such limited amounts to work with. Like they're on these huge, ugly luxury yachts, and then like the captain will be getting at her stewardess team because they're not doing advanced enough tablescapes for the guests. And this is a super yacht, so they expect the very best. And like then the the new like second steward turns up, and she's incredible at doing tablescapes and gets all of the credit for it. And like. They're just like pulling a load of like weird like ropes and beads and like little like gemstones out of like a cupboard and just kind of scattering them on the table. And people are like, this is amazing. And it's oh. like, yeah, it's the most, one of them has like an Instagram account, like all about her tablescapes. Okay, need to watch that. Sounds <laughs> yeah. like art. Absolutely amazing. And they're the worst. They're so horrible. <laughs> like, why would you do this on your table? She's showing people how they can do it at home, and it's like then you just have to clear up all these tiny rocks and shells you've scattered on your table. Yeah, but if you create an experience, <laughs> exactly, it's memories. We're making memories here. Mm -hmm. All right, Elaine yeah. Page. <laughs> well, I I have a recommendation as well. Oh yeah, go on. Okay, it's going to completely counter lose um <laughs> below deck med, which I now will have to watch. Um, so I was able to watch this film called The Reason I Jump, which mm -hmm. is like a creative documentary. And it's based on a book called The Reason I Jump, The Inner Voice of a 13-Year-Old Boy with Autism by yeah. uh, Nayako Higashida. And that's, that's the book. And the film itself is just so beautiful. It's mm. so, so beautiful. And I think, you know, when people say disability, they often think like, because, you know, people are disabled, they know about all kinds of disabilities, or they think of just one specific thing, whereas there's so much diversity within disability. And um, I don't know very much about autism or Asperger's. I mean, I probably do more than the average person, but not, not, I've not had close um, experience with people with autism or Asperger's and this film I felt like really dropped me into another way of experiencing the world and in such a beautifully shot directed sensitively gorgeous and it also looked at people with autism um, around the world and I think it was just fantastic to have that insight of all of these different stories kind of woven together so that's that's one and then I'd also I, I kind of feel like Crip Camp is iconic, mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. And like, if you watch one film about disability, other than ours, of course, um, watch Crip Camp um, because it's life-changing. I mean, I kind of didn't mention Crip Camp first because I just feel like it's now like already iconic. I guess that's mm. two, two recommendations, I'm cheating. That's brilliant. Um, I just wanted, I'm sorry, I was going to jump in as well um, and also vouch for Below Deck, but not the med one, but the original one. I haven't seen <laughs> the med one yet. Um, but yeah, I agree. They have the same kind of dynamics, tablescapes for days. They even get live animals involved in their tablescapes. Oh so, my God. Yeah, there's a lot. It's, uh, it's good. But in terms of recommendations, I've just finished this, which is really great. It's called the Care Manifesto. Mm -hmm. um, so they talk about kind of expanded care and they, they've come up with this term called promiscuous care. 
uh, which is like incredible. So this is, it's good. It's a nice little short thing. Wait, wait, wait a second though. If we're going to talk about books, this is a different story. <laughs> Care Work by Leah Lakshmi and Papshina Samarsina. That is essential. It's totally yeah. essential. We almost included it in the film. We had scenes of me reading out loud from it in, in the, like, in the rushes that we didn't use because they were too, you, people don't read from books in reality TV on camera for long paragraphs. No, yeah. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. Wait for episode two. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and we will include, we'll include more references. Uh, but oh. yeah, it's, it's incredible. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much to both of you for coming on and talking about this. It's been yeah. such a pleasure. And if you haven't watched the film yet, go watch the film, everyone. It's on FilmVid Umbrella. It's absolutely incredible. Talk to anyone you know who works in TV because it needs to get commissioned. I need episode two. I need to hear <laughs> Lou reading from books. Um, <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much. I mean, before we go, is there any, like, where can people find you to keep up with what you're doing? I guess I'd say Instagram. Instagram is probably the best. So mm. um, my Instagram handle is at bedroom underscore activist. Mine is uh, at Lou underscore McNamara. <laughs> well we'll send people to you thank you so much and we'll see you later yeah thanks so much and congratulations yeah so many congratulations thank you so much thanks <laughs> well that was us for this week i did feel in the like sort of continuing the blow deck analogy i did feel a bit like a captain there trying to pull us in you did very um, good very good work yeah do you know what we're talking about next week yet no it's gonna be a surprise all right. I look forward <laughs> to being surprised. <laughs> well, I will let you get on with your Saturday. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat. As always, good luck. Bye. Rory and Jeff Talk About Art is a weekly conversation between Rory P. Brooks and Jeff Coe, produced by Jacob Watmore and edited by me, Rory P. Brooks. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Rory and Jeff, where you can also see the full live stream of this week's chat and get updates on new episodes. If you've liked what you've heard, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast, and we'll be back. New episodes of Rory and Jeff Talk About Art come out every Wednesday.